that. Take your Bibles, if you would, this evening and turn to the book of James again, James chapter number one. We're going to continue where we left off this morning, the book of James chapter one. Are you the real deal? Now, this morning we talked about trials that come into our lives, hard times that God uses to draw us closer to him. Uh, And then we left off there in James chapter 1. I should open my Bible too, I guess, tonight. James chapter 1. We left off because of time, uh, verse number 8. We're going to start reading in verse number 9 tonight. James chapter 1, verse number 9. The Bible says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that as he is exalted. But the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Now we're not going to spend a ton of time on that tonight, because it goes more with this morning's message, but some great truths in those uh, verses. We're going to pick up in verse number 12 tonight. Blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom or with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. That's where we're going to stop reading tonight. Uh, but tonight I want to talk to you about the opposite side of temptation. We talked about that word temptation from verse number two in the book of James. Uh, and how that has a, it's meant to make us better. But tonight we're going to talk about the negative connotation, the negative meaning of that word, which we find in verse number 12, when we're tempted to do wrong, when we're tempted to do something that we shouldn't do. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. There's just three points. I'm going to give them to you right now. Are you ready? Maybe. Here we go. I've got it now. Number one is the promise. Number two, the caution. And number three, the understanding. Now, number one and two are going to fly by, and you're going to go, yes, we're getting out of church early tonight. Uh, Pastor would dock my pay if I did that, so we're going to keep you 30 minutes over, uh, going to overtime tonight. But no, we're get, number three will be the longest. So number one and two will go a little bit quicker. Number three, we're going to spend some more time on. Uh, but number one, we're going to look at the promise. And it go, comes in that first word in verse number 12 that we read. What is the first word of verse 12? Blessed. All right, we're not asleep yet. Good. Blessed. So the promise that we have is that if we endure temptation, we'll be blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We need to endure temptation. Temptation is going to come. I hate diets with a passion. I hate diets. And you can find any kind of diet you want to today. You can do low-carb diet. You can do low-sugar diet. You can do buy these magic pills that make you skinny. You can go to gyms that promise to do this stuff. You can buy supplements. Uh, but I just hate it because I like food. I love food. 
And when you tell me I can't have something, I may have not craved that in a year, but as soon as you tell me I can't have a piece of bread, I go, oh, I want a piece of bread. I want that bread. If it's sitting in our cabinet, if my wife and I are on a diet, I'll let her go to bed, and then I'll sneak down there to the kitchen and I'll eat it because I figure the calories don't count and the carbs won't count as long as my wife is in bed and doesn't know I ate it, right? But I'm tempted because I like food. Uh, and it's something I probably shouldn't do. I should probably lose weight and not eat all the sweets and not go buy the box of gobstoppers from the store and eat the whole box on the way home from the store. But I'm tempted to do those things because I like to eat. Temptation is going to come in our lives. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Satan is going to come. He's going to tempt you. Satan even tempted Christ, did he not? Now, I want you to think about something. Was Christ tempted? Was he tempted? Think about it. Think of your answer. I won't make you say it out loud, but we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. Was Christ tempted? And we're going to look at the definition of temptation, what temptation is, and then I'll let you decide what you think. Was Christ actually tempted? Uh, and I know you couldn't see the slide this morning, so I put it back in tonight. Uh, so we see the promise. If we endure temptation, if we are strong, if we stand strong in the midst when Satan and his fiery darts are coming at us, like Ephesians talks about in chapter 6, if we withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, we will be blessed. We'll receive that crown of life in heaven. Because while the sin and while those temptations, these earthly things give us temporary pleasures, and sin does, I'll be the first to admit that. I'm not going to say that sin is miserable because it will give you temporary pleasure. If you go and you uh, do drugs, it will give you a temporary pleasure. It will make you feel good for a set amount of time, but after that, you're going to have the effects. Uh, and I've seen the effects of drugs on people's lives. Growing up in a pastor's home, uh, my dad would take me on hospital visits with him to visit people in the hospital. And I'll never forget him taking me to see someone in the hospital and me standing outside the room, and we had to put gloves on, we had to put a mask on, we had to put this whole gown on, um, and I know, didn't know what was going on. I was probably 10, 11 at the time, and we walked into that room, and we saw the guy, and he looked miserable. He was in pain. He was dying. And we walked out of the room, and we were walking down the hall of the hospital, and that man was dying from a disease that he had gotten because of sin. And my dad sat me down, and he said, you know what, that man is dying today because of choices he made in his past. And so if we give in to temptation every time Satan tempts us, yeah, there will be consequences. You may get temporary pleasure out of it, but in the end, and we'll see this later on in the message, the end of sin is never a good thing, okay? It might give you temporary pleasure, but the end is not worth it. But when we withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, we will be blessed. Number two, I told you the first two, we're going to go fast. It's the caution. So number one, we have the promise, we'll be blessed if we endure temptation. But number two is the caution. Now we talked about the difference between trials and temptations, and this is a slide I put back up there for you, because I know you couldn't see it. I'm sorry, I couldn't even read it, and I was standing right up here. <laughs> but we saw the difference between trials and temptations. Trials are meant to improve, temptations are from Satan, meant to tear down. Trials are of God, temptations are not from God. Trials were what we mentioned in verse number 2. Temptations are what we're talking about tonight in verse number 12 and onward. So we, uh, the difference in the words, what tonight we're talking about, that second word, the negative connotation of temptation. So let's look at the definition of temptation. I found two different definitions that I thought were great. 
uh, from Webster's Dictionary. Number one was the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. It is probably unwise for me to go eat a whole pizza from Pizza Hut tonight after church. Would it be good? Yes. Would I be tempted to do it? Yes, but it would probably be an unwise thing, all right? Uh, Or the temptation to do something evil. We all know what that is, okay? Every single person in this room, no matter how spiritual you are, has dealt with temptation. Another definition I found was a thing or course of action that attracts or tempts someone. So these are two definitions that I found. We need to be careful. We need to be vigilant. Because the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants you to sin. Why? Because when we are living in sin, we aren't living a spirit-filled life. If we're harboring sin in our hearts, God hasn't filled our hearts. He wants to, but when we're harboring that sin, he can't. And so when we aren't spirit-filled, when we aren't filled with the spirit, we have the spirit residing in us because we're saved, right? Okay, but we're not spirit-filled, then we're not living our full potential for Christ, and we're not winning people to Christ like we should, and we're not being the witness that we should, and we're actually drawing people away from God when he wants us to be drawing people to him. And so Satan's going to tempt you as a Christian. And probably the better Christian you become and the more involved in church you get, and the more you start doing for God, the more Satan's going to tempt you because the more he wants you to fall flat on your face and fail. Because he doesn't want you to win people to Christ. He doesn't want you to be a witness for him. He wants you to fail. And so there's the warning. Let's keep on reading in the scriptures. Verse 12, we just finished reading. The Bible says in verse 13, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. God cannot be tempted with evil. So let me ask you this. Is Jesus God? Amen. Okay, good. If God can't be tempted with evil, was Jesus Christ really tempted in the wilderness by Satan? Satan tempted him, but Christ was never tempted. Satan tried, but Jesus Christ... It's something to think about. I was listening to the radio one night when I was in college. It was probably 1.30 a.m. I had just gotten off work. I was tired, but I would listen to the radio on the way back, and there was a man preaching an older man, and he was talking about the temptation of Christ, all right? The tempting of Christ, how Satan tempted him. And he goes, you know what? I'm so thankful that my Savior didn't give in to that temptation because, man, I was just imagining what if Christ, because he was tempted and he, was, he wanted to do those wrongs, and I just, I'm so thankful he didn't give in. And I stopped and I thought, you know what? My Savior wasn't really tempted by that. Satan might have foolishly tried. He thought, I can tempt Christ, but Christ was never tempted. He was, Satan did the tempting, but Christ never was tempted. Because he is God, he is perfect. Even if Christ could be tempted, if Christ could be tempted to do something wrong, if he could have those thoughts, that would make him not perfect. And if Christ was not perfect, then he died on the cross, an imperfect man, so that he couldn't save me, so that I could go to heaven. And I stopped and thought about that, and I thought, you know what, my God is perfect. My Christ was perfect when he walked this earth. He was 100% God, but he came in the form of man and was 100% man. And he died on the cross for my sins. But Satan did foolishly try. Satan said, I'm going to get Christ. I'm going to tempt him. And he did all these different things. But God cannot be tempted with evil. He can't. It is an impossibility because he is perfect. But also the scriptures go on to say, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God is never going to tempt you to do wrong. He's never going to go, I'm going to put this obstacle in their way. 
I'm going to uh, put this sin there to see if they actually grab on and sin. No, that's Satan. Satan does a good enough job at that. God's never going to tempt you to do wrong. But how many times have you heard someone uh, say that God made me do it? Man, I can't believe God. I can't believe God did that. No, God didn't tempt you. It was Satan that tempted you. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God's never going to do that to you. Number three, keeping on going, the understanding. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Oh, that just got really heavy right there. We're talking about death now. Let's look at that progression together tonight. The path of sin. The ultimate result of sin from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned was that we are all going to die one day. They lived in a perfect world. There was no death, there was no pain, there was no suffering. But when they gave in to the temptation of Satan, they started down that path. And the end result is death. Well, let's look at the path of sin. Uh, because I've heard people say, I just fell into sin. Oh, it just, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I was falling deep in sin, and I was addicted to this. I, all of a sudden, it happened. I don't know how it happened, but it is a natural progression. And the scriptures lay it out right here. So when we start out, we start out good, right? We're ready to race. We're getting ready to run. Uh, but then all of a sudden, Satan tempts us. And it's, when we are tempted, have we sinned? No, not yet. Temptation is of Satan. Satan tried to tempt Christ. Christ wasn't tempted. He was able to not. Uh, so we've got to separate that. Satan tempts us, but we don't have to be tempted. Okay? Satan tempts. We're going to be, he's going to tempt us, but we do not have to be tempted. And so, uh, but all of a sudden, he tempts us, and then we get that lust in our heart and go, oh, you know what? When I'm on my diet, I think that candy bar would be pretty good. No, not candy bar. I hate chocolate. Uh, you know, that, box, that bag of gummy bears would be great. But as long as I don't eat those gummy bears, I haven't gotten those calories and those carbs and all that sugar and all that great stuff in my body yet, okay? I, I thought about it. I said, you know what? I would like some gummy bears. But when I start to sit there and I start to dwell on it and I start to go, oh, gummy bears. <laughs> I love gummy bears. And, and I say that because uh, to simplify it for us, we're going to be tempted. But it's when we sit there and we start to dwell on the temptation and start to dwell on those thoughts and start to dwell on those that we're getting closer and closer to the very next step. So Satan's going to tempt us. He's going to lust us, to lust, uh, cause lust in our hearts. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So when that lust happens and we start to dwell on it and we start to think on it, now we're sinning, okay? Well, lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So now we've done wrong. Now, if you were perfect before, you're no longer perfect, okay? We've sinned. And what's the end result of sin? So we lust, we're tempted, we lust, we start to dwell on those thoughts, and then we sin, and then sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's serious stuff right there. But when someone says, I don't know how this happened, I just fell into sin, no, 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 you were tempted. You sat there and started to think about those temptations and to dwell on it. You started to lust after those things that were wrong, and then you sinned. 
And then you kept sinning and you kept sinning and you kept sinning. That man that was on his deathbed because of immoral choices that he had made, he had been sinning and sinning. It didn't happen overnight. He continued in sin and sin and sin. And ultimately, his brought physical death. But the scripture here is talking about we're going to be spiritually. We can't get to Christ because we have that sin in our life. And so let me ask you, are we in sin tonight? Who is uh, James writing to in this passage of Scripture? Was he writing to unsaved people? No, he was writing to Christians. He was writing to the church, the children of Israel, who were scattered around because of, um, because of persecution that they had experienced. And they experienced that persecution, and they were living in, among the Gentiles. They were living among people that were probably very wicked people. If you read back in the Bible times and some of the things that happened in the society, you just shake your head and go, what? How could they? Children sacrifices. And, and just the wickedness that happened in the temples even. And, and the wickedness that was around them day by day by day. They were tempted. Don't let it fool you. And we live in a world today that is a very wicked world. You watch the news for any amount of time, uh, you will know that we live in a wicked world. I hate watching the news. I'll read the news online, but I just hate watching it. Uh, because we live in a wicked world. And on every side, uh, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're on the internet, you're bombarded with temptation after temptation. And we have full access to everything we could ever want to now. I love technology and I hate technology at the same time for that reason. Everything we could ever want is at our fingertips. It's at our thumbtips on our phone. There's temptation rampant in the world today. But this is the path to sin. We're going to be tempted. We're going to lust. We're going to sin. And sin, when it is finished, bring it forth death. And then James says, hey, Hey, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to err. Do not err, my beloved brethren. He loved them. He loved the children of Israel, and he wanted to see them successful. He wanted to see them spiritually successful, and he said, do not err. Do not do wrong. Stay on the straight and narrow path. <coughs> Excuse me. So I'm sure you're wondering now, well, Daniel, how do I overcome temptation or sin? I am so glad you asked. That is an excellent question. That was actually going to be my next point. Did you know that already? How do you overcome sin? What can we do to overcome sin? Well, let's keep reading. Number one, you can remember that every good gift, verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. <coughs> Excuse me. I hope nobody's drank out of this water bottle already. How do we overcome temptation or sin? Remember that God's been good to us. No matter how much pleasure that sin seems to will be giving us, you know, it looks enticing. It looks exciting. It's going to make me feel good. It's going to make, uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. No matter how fun or how exciting or how it makes you feel, God is so much better. Serving God and staying holy and staying pure is so much better. Uh, I love I had the opportunity to go uh, to the retirement home uh, with Brother Danny and Miss Regina while they were preaching yesterday. Well, Brother Danny was preaching. Miss Regina was playing. <laughs> had to straighten that out. She got the look on her face. I wasn't preaching. I'm sure she could. She probably wrote the sermon for him yesterday, though. But we were there at the nursing home, and I love listening to those people talk and sing because they got the joy of the Lord in their heart. And those that have been Christians for a long period of time, I was talking to a lady. She, knows, she said, you know what? God's always been good to me. 
and she was, she was in her 70s, and I looked at her 70s, 80s, I said, wow, God's been good to her for however long she's been saved, and she can look back and go, God's been good. I love talking to older Christians because they've been through a lot. They've been tempted a lot. They've been through the trials that we talked about this morning. But they usually you can look at them and they'll look at you and say, just like the psalmist said, David, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Because God is good. God loves us. He has our best interests in mind. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It says here in verse 17, and coming down from the Father of lights, and I love this promise, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God never changes. The same God that was there yesterday when David was facing Goliath is the same God who is with us today when we face the giants of sin in our life. It's the same God that our children are going to have 30 years from now, that our grandchildren are going to have. He is the same. There is no changing. He's not going to change his mind tomorrow and go, no, I decided I want to do things different. I'm not going to be good to you anymore. Uh, no, because God created us, and he wants what's best for us. He will never change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can take it to the bank. It is a promise of God. And I still have yet to find one promise in the Bible that God's gone back on. So I think it's pretty safe to say that God's not going to change. All right? It's multiple times in the Scripture you can see it. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no changing. There's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. Jesus Christ created us back in the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve. He didn't have to. He created us. Not only did he create man, but he created man in his image. We are made in the image of God. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. But we need to resist temptation. <clears throat> so how can we overcome sin? How can we overcome temptation? We remember that God is good, and he is always good. All the time. Take it to the bank. God is good. But there's some other useful things that I found, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you read through Ephesians 6 where God talks about the armor, our spiritual armor, everything is a defensive the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you have one offensive weapon, and that's the word of God. How are we to fight Satan in the fiery darts? It's by the word of God. Memorize it. And that's one thing that I've dedicated to do more of is to memorizing the word of God because when we're tempted, when Satan tempts you, you're not always going to have your Bible right there, okay? You're not going to be able to go, you know what? I know Pastor Wagner preached a message on that one. Hmm, just a second, Satan. It was, uh, you're not going to be able to do that, okay? You need to, if you struggle with a sin, let's, uh, whatever sin it is, find verses in the Bible that relate to that and put them to memory. Memorize the Word of God. Then when Satan attacks you with it, when you're tempted, start quoting Scripture. It's hard to quote Scripture and to continue to dwell and to think on that temptation and to start to lust and sin. And so you're stopping that path right at the beginning. 
we're stopping it right at the very get-go. We're not letting ourselves go down that path that ends in death. We're stopping it at the very beginning. <clears throat> Memorize the Word of God. And then I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I'm going to ask my helpers to come on up here. Braden, Lucas, Caden. They had a heads up. The next two guys don't. Jeremy, Nathan, can you come help me for a minute, please? I won't make you talk, I promise. I told these guys I wouldn't make them talk. As long as you can do this, you're good. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We hold that. You guys are doing great. Wow. I'm going to let these five guys represent thoughts. No, you hold it the other way. Let them see it. These guys represent thoughts. We have thoughts that come in and out of our mind all day. We make decisions all day long from the time we wake up to, am I going to brush my teeth? Am I not going to brush my teeth? Am I going to wear blue to church today? Am I going to wear yellow to church today? Am I going to eat uh, Reese's Puffs or am I going to eat Lucky Charms? We make decisions all day long. Uh, and thousands upon thousands of decisions that we just make without even thinking about them. And the same thing with our thoughts. We have lots of thoughts that come in and are out of our mind. Some are good, some are bad. But they're walking around our mind. Go ahead and walk around, guys. They're walking around all the time. You can walk down there. Don't walk in the back of the auditorium. Stay up front here. I don't want to have to chase you. I'm out of shape. I haven't been on my diet, so it's... They're walking around. They're always... You have all these thoughts. And these are the thoughts in my mind, okay? I know there's some scary-looking thoughts, some of them. But they're thoughts, and they're always walking around. But if we take this passage literally, and you think casting down, the Bible says take into captivity every thought. And if it's a good thought, you go, I'll keep you. Go ahead. Every thought, though, every thought we have, you take it into captivity. If it's evil, what does the Bible say to do with it? What does it say? Cast it out. Get out of here evil thoughts, goodness. And we're supposed to take every thought that we have and go, okay, you're good. Uh, wicked thought, nope, nope, you got to go. You, you can keep that as a souvenir, though. Happy birthday. But we take every thought and we go, okay, we take it into captivity, stop and think, is this a thought that would be honoring and pleasing to God? Yes. And look what I've done now. The wicked thoughts, they're gone. Sorry, guys. You guys can all go sit down. Thank you. I'll take those. If you want to keep them, you can. But that's literally what the Bible is saying. We have all these thoughts in our mind, but you need to stop and go, is this thought honoring and pleasing to God? If it's not, get rid of it. Cast it down. Every imagination, anything that would set itself above God, any sin, any thought, any wickedness, if we take it into captivity, literally put it in a cage and say, is this honoring and pleasing to God? If it is, keep thinking about it. If it's not, cast it out. And what a help that is. Man, just stop. Take every thought, 
every single thought into captivity and see whether it be good or bad. Turn one back to James with me as we finish out tonight. Back to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to keep reading in verse number 19 where we left off. James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. There's some people that are good at talking. They just could talk all day long. I am not one of those people. You go, you've sure been talking a lot today, Daniel. I know, but I'm not one of those people that have to talk all the time. I'm okay with just sitting there and being quiet. I'm okay with not, but there's some people that love to talk, and I am thankful there are those people there, because if you're ever in a place where the conversation keeps dying, you have those people that talk a lot, they can keep that conversation going and going and going, you don't have to put much effort into it. I love that. But a lot of times, we're quick to talk, we're quick to go to judgment, and we don't listen. And I'm not talking about people that talk all the time, but the Bible says we need to be swift to hear, swift to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So many times we flip that verse around and we're quick to speak, we're quick to get angry, but we're slow to listen to people. We've already jumped to a conclusion before we've got all the, uh, all the things that have happened. We already know how we're going to react and we've not even thought, we haven't even listened to what's happened. Man, the, our pastor uh, in Charlotte preached a series on the 10 keys of corrective communication uh, over a couple month period and one of those was to stop and listen. When you're having a conversation and you don't agree with somebody, what are you doing while they're talking to you? You're sitting there and listening to them, right? No, you're in your mind going, no, that is not right. And this 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 is what I'm going to say because they are wrong. And you're not even listening to them. Maybe you can. I cannot do two things at once. All those thoughts in my mind uh, that you just saw up here, they clutter my mind. I can only do one thing at a time. So if I'm thinking about my rebuttal against somebody, I'm not listening to them. And they could have just said some argument that proves me plumb wrong, but I wasn't listening to them. I don't know. And so I'm already jumped to the conclusion of what I'm going to say without hearing the whole matter. The Bible says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? Because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Keep on reading with me. Verse 21, wherefore. And what does that word wherefore mean? Because of this, because of all these things we've listed, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's just fun to say. Lay apart superfluity of naughtiness. Say that 20 times fast. What does it mean, though? Uh, things that aren't necessary. The abundance of evil that we have in our lives, throw it away. Lay apart all filthiness, every single thing uh, that is dirty. If you go to a restaurant tonight and there is dirt in your cup, there's just one speck of dirt in your cup. What are you going to do? Oh, it's just one speck of dirt. It won't hurt. Yeah, I made dirt and dirt don't hurt. And you're going to drink it, right? No. You're going to go, I don't want that dirt in my cup. Waiter, I want a new cup. There is dirt in my cup. But we have that sin in our life. We go, ah, it's just a little bit of sin. It's not that big of a deal. I'm okay. I can live with this sin. And God wants to use us, but he wants a clean vessel. And so we need to get rid of that sin, lay apart all. It doesn't say some or most or 99%. It says 100%. Lay apart all filthiness, 
all that abundance of naughtiness, all that evil that is in your life, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Meek is a word that I struggle with sometimes. When somebody points out a sin or an area where I'm struggling in my life or uh, points out something, when my wife tells me something that I've done wrong, my reaction is going, oh yeah, you're right. No, who are you to tell me that I am wrong? I'm not very meek, okay? I try, I struggle, it's a pray for me. But I think all of us have that struggle, at least men do. We have that pride that's built up in us. And who are you to tell me I'm wrong? But the Bible says receive with meekness. When somebody brings a scriptural thing to your attention, when the Holy Spirit brings a scriptural thing to your attention and says you need to work on this, you're in church, you're in your devotions, and the Holy Spirit lays something on your heart, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. We want help, but then we get that. We say we want to be closer to God. We say we want to resist temptation, but when the Holy Spirit works in our life or sends a preacher that's preaching, and uh, Pastor Wagner's up here preaching, and he starts preaching about your sin, and he starts coming down your aisle and stepping on your toes, we don't like that very much, including me, okay? I'm not some uber-spiritual guy that's more spiritual than everybody here that doesn't get my toes stepped on. I need to get some steel-toed boots for church sometimes, I feel like. Because I feel like he just keeps coming down the row and stepping on my toes. But that's a good thing because that means the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. and drawing, But we push that away and we go, no, 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 I don't need that. No, I don't like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But God's trying to help us. And we look in the Word of God, but be ye, verse 22, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. <clears throat> mirrors. There are mirrors everywhere. I started to go around the church today and just count the number of mirrors we have. We have a lot of mirrors. You go into the nursery, there's a mirror behind the door in the nursery. There's mirrors in the bathroom, multiple mirrors. There's mirrors in the hallways. At your house, you probably have several mirrors. Mirrors in your bathroom, mirrors in your bedroom, mirrors by your front door. There's mirrors everywhere. Why? Men don't really look in the mirror that much. We look in the mirror to get ready in the morning, and then we're done for the day. But ladies, they want to make sure when they're walking out that door that they look good, that their hair didn't get messed up, uh, that your kids or grandkids didn't throw some kind of SpaghettiOs on your shirt, and you don't want to walk out and look ridiculous. Uh, but the other morning, I was getting ready, uh, and I put gel in my hair, and we just moved into our house, and we're still organizing things and unpacking things, and so I didn't have my comb. Just didn't have it. So I put the gel in my hair, realized I didn't have my comb unpacked yet. I said, that's okay. I'll just use my wife's hairbrush. Uh, but our AC had been out upstairs, so her get-ready stuff had been downstairs so that it was cooler when she was getting ready. I said, that's okay. When I get downstairs, I'll just fix my hair. So I had gel in my hair, but it was, my hair was spiked up in the air. I went, I talked to my family. My mom and my sister were there. I talked to Kelly. I talked to Landon. Uh, and I am getting ready to walk out the door. And this thought hit me. My hair is spiked straight up in the air. And do you think that my loving wife warned me and said, hey, Daniel, you might want to go look in the mirror in the bathroom. Your hair looks ridiculous. You would think my mother would love me enough to do that. My sister, probably not. But you would think my wife and my mother would go, hey, you should go look in the mirror again. Uh, but how silly would it be to go look in a mirror 
and see that something is on your outfit or see that you had uh, dirt on your face and to go, I've got something on my face. Okay. And then go live your day and look ridiculous everywhere you went, at Walmart, at Target, at your workplace. No, because when we look in a mirror, we look to see what's wrong with us so that we can fix it. I go to fix my hair if it looks ridiculous. I go to shave. I go to uh, just make sure that I am presentable to the world and make myself look as good as possible because it's a struggle, all right? Uh, I know you, some of you don't have to worry about that, but I do, all right? It's a struggle every single morning. But with the Word of God, when we read the Word of God or we come to church and God shows us something, the Bible calls it looking into the mirror of God's Word. Verse number 23, for if any be a hearer, or verse 24, I'm sorry. No, it is verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror, okay? So when we work, look into the word of God and God shows us something and we go, mm, but I like that sin. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. You come to church and Pastor Wagner preaches and you go, I know I shouldn't do that. I know I should do that. I know I should be in church. I know I should, but I'm okay. The Bible says you're like a man beholding his face in a glass for you look at the mirror, you see that there's something wrong and then you go your way and you forget that anything's even wrong with your life. We wouldn't do that with our, with our bodies, with our physical bodies, but why do we do that with our spiritual being? When we look into the Word of God and God shows us something that's wrong, we need to fix it. God gave us the Word of God to show us things that are wrong in our life, to help us become better. But whoso, verse 25, looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the Word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You want to know how to overcome sin? Remember how good God is. Remember that he has your best interest at heart. No matter how enticing Satan is, no matter how enticing the sin is, God is good. God is better than anything that this world could offer you. Memorize the word of God. But then be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Because when we do that, you're fooling nobody but yourself. God's not fooled. Be a doer of the word. So we need to remember who God is. We need to memorize the word of God. And we need to do the word of God. The, book, uh, the Bible says in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law, talking about the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And is that where the verse ends? The verse keeps on going. And continue there in day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If we went back to that path, we know that the end of sin is death. But the end of living a life for God, the end of living wholly dedicated to him and eradicating that sin out of your life and making sure that you don't give into temptation and taking into captivity, every thought, and casting down wicked imaginations, the end result of that is a home in heaven. All right, you're saved. Understand that. Sin is not going to take you out of heaven. But the rewards in heaven and the blessings and the being able to stand there at the throne of God and have him look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want that. I don't want to get to heaven and God go, well, you just barely made it in. 
Yeah, you got saved, but you lived in sin your whole life and you did nothing. I had this great thing for you. It, and pardon my, my imagination for a minute, but what if God, we went up to heaven and he had a screen of things that you could have done? Daniel, had you only gotten rid of the sin in your life, this is where you could have been. This is what you could have done for me. These are the people that could be in heaven. But, oh, I don't want that but to be there. I want to live wholly dedicated to God, and I think you do too. But we need to be able to combat the attacks of Satan, because he will attack. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready to overcome that temptation and that sin? Have you memorized the Word of God? Are you reading it every single day? I hope you are. Because Satan will tempt you. Are you ready to stand against the temptation? Are we the real deal? When the trying times and the tests come from God, will you be able to come through those and draw closer to God? When that temptation comes, notice something, a theme here. When temptation comes, we need to get closer to God. We need to get in his word. When, that, when Satan tempts us, we need to get farther away from Satan and closer to God. You notice the theme here? And if you read through the book of James, you'll see that theme over and over and over again, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Resist Satan, and draw nigh to God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and Lord, just how applicable it is to our lives, especially this book of James. Lord, as we continue on Wednesday evening, reading, going through the end of chapter number one, talking about pure religion, what pure religion is, what real Christianity and real religion is, in the eyes of God, I pray that you just continue to work. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Uh, Lord, if we're not struggling, if there's someone who's not struggling with sin in their life, that they would make sure that they stay close to you and that they stay away from sin and stay strong in the battle against Satan. And Lord, I pray if there's some in here that are struggling with sin, that they would get their hearts right, that they would get in the word of God and that they wouldn't resist your working in their life, but that they would resist Satan's temptations in their life. Lord, we thank you for how you're going to work. There may be some here tonight that need to come to this altar and just rededicate yourself to the battle. Rededicate yourself, say, I'm going to resist Satan. I'm not struggling with some major sin right now, but I'm dedicating myself that I'm going to stay strong in temptation. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're struggling with a sin and you need to get that right. I encourage you tonight, before you leave this room, pray to God. God wants what's best for you. God will help you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would stand while Brother Lee sings,